0: Good morning, Grace, happy Sunday. Okay, uh, where are my quizzers at? Will you please come up here? If you're not serving, Noah is there. Joseph, you know, Mimi, Heston, Heston. Okay, these quizzers do it all, y'all. Okay, so I'm back again, obviously, with another quizzing update. Um, Our quizzers traveled to West Monroe this past weekend for a regional tournament called Louisiana, Texas Open. Fifty-two teams from Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Indiana gathered for a weekend of fellowship, fun, and quizzing. Our quizzers, while they didn't bring home hardware this time, they represented themselves and Grace Church so well. They showed themselves friendly to all, and they quizzed their best with good attitudes all around. And for me, that will always be worth more than any trophy. So, they were met with some stiff competition at this tournament, but these quizzers, they never gave up. They kept trying, question after question. Uh, Noah was highest scorer in two of his games and second highest scorer in one. Lainey was highest scorer in a game. She quizzed out with eight correct in that game, and she was second highest scorer in another game. And Elena was second highest scorer in a game. So, even though they didn't win, they did really, really well. And I want to just take this moment to thank our quizzers for continuing to put in the work. Um, We don't do this for trophies or for accolades. And while those are nice and sometimes they kind of feed our flesh a little bit and, you know, maybe be a bit of motivation, the real prize, though, we all know is hiding the Word of God in our hearts and allowing it to change us for the better. So thank you, quizzers. Thank you for your hard work. Thank you, church.
1: Thank you, Sister Courtney. Again, good job, quizzers. We did have such a great, great trip, great time. A lot we could say about that, but quizzing is such a wonderful, valuable, inspiring, and life-changing ministry. And uh, we do ask that you continue to keep that ministry in your prayer. We're going to take just a couple of more minutes here before we start. I've got a couple of things to bring to you. And uh, as you know, we do this often. We, we often pause right before the service begins to highlight some things. Usually it, it deals with our, or it has to do with our students. Uh, today it has to do with our students and our young people, or our young adults rather. And of course you just heard Sister Courtney's presentation. We do that for a lot of reasons, um, but this week it occurred to me. One reason we do it, or one, one great byproduct of this, is that we want to celebrate good news. When, when there's good people doing good things, we want to highlight that. Amen. You know, all throughout the week, we get bombarded with lots of information, lots of news, and most of it is not encouraging. Most of it, in fact, is negative. So when God's people are doing awesome things and, and we have good news to highlight, we want to do that. And so you just heard the great news about the quizzers, and so I want to also let you know today that... Two of our students, Allison Montgomery and Greeley Patrick, uh, late, late last fall, early in the winter, towards the end of the year, 2023, they tried out for Louisiana All-State Youth Choir, and both of them were accepted into All-State Youth Choir. Would y'all stand just for a moment, let the church see you, amen, <laughs> proud of y'all, good job, and of course, uh, I can't let this moment pass without also telling you Greeley Patrick made Frontline which is the kind of like this right here it's the group that stands in front hold the microphones you're going to see her up front at camp meeting and at district conference and all those things, we're proud of these girls and what they have done, can you give them another hand, God bless you, you can be seated, God bless you keep them in your prayer keep them in your prayer, another great ministry another great opportunity how many of you have seen the the signs in the lobby and around kind of the front of the church that just said 1825? Have you seen that? Well, I want everybody to turn to Psalms chapter 18. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, hopefully you've hopefully you've wondered a little bit about what that's all about, and maybe wondering when we were going to get around to telling you about it. Well, now's the time. Today's the day. And so I, and so I'm happy. I'm happy to announce that we are starting. A Sunday school class for 18 to 25 year old, uh, 18 to 25 year old, single adults and married without children. Absolutely. Yeah. Single adults and married without children, 18 to 25. And we're just going to call it hyphen. Uh, hyphen is that college and career ministry, if you will. That's what the United Pentecostal Church calls it. That's what our district calls it. So it's just real easy to identify and be a part of that group. So we are as of this moment, are beginning our hyphen ministry, our hyphen group. That group will meet at ten o'clock on Sunday mornings in the room that's marked prayer room, right next to classroom two. So uh, hyphens will be in classroom, or will be in the prayer room next to classroom two, and uh, that will begin this coming Sunday, a week from today. Everybody say next Sunday. Next All right. So eighteen to twenty-five year olds, we're looking forward to seeing you there. We're gonna have a great time, and it's gonna be content that's um, that's curated for you. It's it's gonna be tailored for you. It's going to make an impact in your walk with God and in your life. And then there's also going to be a social component. We'll talk more about that in class. I'll get the word out to you. But we're gonna have some social events as well. And then of course we'll also be attending the events that the district does for hyphen. So we're excited about this. This is a this is an area that that we really needed to launch, and and we put a lot of thought into it, a lot of planning, a lot of work, and here it is. So we're excited to announce it. Everybody say thank God. Amen. Stand with me. Let me remind you of Tuesday morning prayer this Sunday at 10 o'clock. I'm sorry, this Tuesday. Thank you, Sister Murphy. This Tuesday at 10 o'clock here in the sanctuary, Tuesday morning prayer. And then uh, as we've been announcing, 21 days of sacrifice will begin on February 19th. Last announcement, mark your calendar for February 23rd through 25th. Dr. Raya Cooper will be with us that weekend, and uh, she'll have some really great content, uh, and we'll be ministering to our church. So mark your calendar for that. Are you ready for church this morning? Let's be present today and see what God will do. Clap your hands to Jesus.
2: Amen. No rival that could ever stand against your might you've always been Do it all to Surrender my.
3: the next morning and said surely the presence of the Lord was in this place but I knew it not that's that's one illustration of how sometimes we can be so mired in into what we're doing and what's going on in our life and uh, events and circumstances around us that God is with us and we don't recognize it but then there's another moment that the song they just sang describes to me that when we have that moment, it would be Jesus resurrecting from the dead and, and appearing to his disciples, walking going through the wall, the Bible said. All the windows and doors were locked down. He comes through the wall and one of them decides, I need to go somewhere else. You exit the moment before God has had an opportunity to do what he wants to do in that moment. So... Had Thomas left, had Thomas unbolted the door and walked out, he would not have caught that revelation and understanding of the scars in Jesus' hands and the scar in his side. Y'all understand what I'm saying? If you're not careful, you can exit a moment with God before he's done. I don't want that to be the case today. I, I, I would to God that everybody stay in the presence of the Lord today don't leave when you're done leave when he's done when he's had that moment to minister to operate to work to speak to us on whatever level we we need speaking to i've literally felt in my spirit many many times you preach a sermon you have the altar service but instead of people coming down to the front they just going out the door they miss a moment they missed a miracle they missed an opportunity to be ministered to don't let that happen today there's nothing more important going on in anybody's life here today than what's about to happen for the next few moments this is standing between us and eternity right now and i want to give god his time today hey we're here so why not stay till it's all done right amen praise the lord Thank you, Lord. So, gl- so glad to see all of you here today. Uh, thank you so very much for coming. Our guests that are here today, welcome. And we're so glad to have brother and sister A.J. Holloway with us today. Uh, they're all here, save one. I understand one is with his grandparents. And I know, would know better than to notify his grandparents and say, no, he needs to be here. I'm not going to interfere with none of that. That's between them, right? But we're glad they're here. I'm saying that in Jess. Been waiting a long time for this service today. Every time Brother Holloway comes, he comes with a message from the Lord. So if you're going to stay today to take in all the moment that God wants with us, then open your ears, open your heart, your mind to the ministry of the word of God today what do you say thank the Lord would you welcome brother Holloway this morning man of God as he comes to preach to us today
4: praise God I um, want to make this preface I have been exposed to what I'm going to preach today it was about six years ago and got a revelation of some things sat on that for a long time and God started speaking to me more about it two years ago and sat on that for two years and then last night just out of nowhere around mid-afternoon I told my wife I said I'm going to go into the office I need to I need to write down some things this will be the first time I've ever ministered this but I've been sitting on it for quite some time and I finally feel God has released me and I'll go ahead and let you know it will be the ugliest message I've ever preached And it's because of the topic, not because of the the delivery. The Scripture's always beautiful, in my opinion. It doesn't matter whether through skilled lips or unskilled lips. I believe the Word of God is always beautiful. But the topic is one that I I finally feel like God has prepared me to speak about it today. And I can't say that it is to this church specifically. In fact, I won't say that. I do feel that it is for the people of God in general, so I, I really want to invite you in today and I thank Pastor Murphy for, for bringing me up the way he did. I really feel that if you can grasp this, it's one thing to have a revelation of God and how good he is, but if you could get a revelation of how disgusting your adversary is. I think our decisions would be a a little bit more easier from day to day and rising up before we look at a cell phone and just worshiping him. I believe if we really got a revelation of how disgusting our adversary is, temptation wouldn't be quite what it is. And my intention is to bring a beast up on this stage and the word of God wrapped around that beast's neck and just expose him to you and there will be a fright Comes over you when you see how terrible sin truly is. But I believe that after we're done, you'll know him for what he really is. And I think we know these things, but I really want to pull the veil off today. So I'm inviting you to turn with me to 2 Samuel, I'm going to chapter 13 of 2 Samuel. And we're going to go to verse 1. I'm going to read 1 through 5, and then I'm going to jump to 10. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, your Bible quizzers will quote it to you. It's here. But if you don't, they've got it ready for us on the screen. There's something really powerful happening in this uh, passage of Scripture that we're going to really dive into. But it says, after this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister. Her name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin, and it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man, and he said to him, Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed, pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I may eat it from her hand. Verse 10, then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. This innocent Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought it. To Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. Now, when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, "Come, lie with me, my sister." She answered him, "No, my brother, do not force me. For no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing." There's a character that doesn't get a lot of airtime in the opening text, but he will later, and he is the he is the center of the topic. I want to make sure that I keep this character at the center, even though we're going to talk about Amnon's folly, his disgusting, forceful taking of his sister, but let's talk about Absalom's vengeance today. There's another character that is quiet during this time, but he has the final say later as we'll find out, but I want to minister to us today about Absalom's vengeance. Would you lift up your hands all across this room? And let's just ask God to open our eyes to the adversary, open our eyes to everything around us, everything in media, everything in the news, everything that is spinning around us everywhere. Help us to be aware of what is not filled with virtue, that is not of God, that will distract us from our highest calling, which is imaging him and reaching people with that image. Ask God that he would reveal some things to you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for pouring this into me over the past six years. I believe, God, more than anything in my soul, you love your people more than anything. Your word proves that to us. So God, I'm putting all my faith, all my trust in your great love for your bride. I put my faith there because I believe you love her so much that you're going to speak to me for her. I believe that you're going to speak to your bride through me. Not because of who I am, but because how much you love your people. I put my faith in that today. Not my ability, not my not my skill, none of those things, God. I put my faith in you. I know how deeply you want to speak to your bride. So with that, I believe that you will use me as an instrument. Pick me up today, God like I'm a microphone, and speak from heaven directly to your bride. Help me to do it, God, with your grace. Help me to do it with your fruits. Help me to do it with your anointing and your conviction. None of this anointing is mine. It all belongs to you, for you're the Christ, not me. God, I give you glory. I give you honor. I give you praise. Whatever you do today, we won't take any credit. We will worship you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Would everyone say amen? Amen. Thank you, Pastor Murphy for trusting me and being so good to me and my family. I love you very, very much. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. A year has not even passed from the day when King David has made a terrible mistake with Bathsheba. We now have Amnon, Tamar, and Absalom's father who has peered through that window and a woman bathing and his desire to have her resulted in adultery and ultimately Murder. It's not even been a year from that moment that we get to 2 Samuel 13. And though we don't know if this particular scene in our opening text has played out because of Amnon's folly, uh, we have to imagine it went through his mind, though. Well, if Daddy received forgiveness for taking Bathsheba, then maybe so will I. And maybe Daddy will understand what I'm going through with Tamar. I'm not sure if Amnon was privy, though, to David's prayer meeting in Psalm 51. I don't know if he was overhearing daddy pray. I don't know. The Bible did not give us that. I don't know if Amnon truly heard David's cry of repentance to God, Cast me not out from before thy presence. In burnt offerings and sacrifices you do not desire, but you desire truth from my inward parts. I don't know if Amnon heard that prayer meeting. Either way... Amnon would have the tall task of living up to his very name, which means faithful. His name shares the same root with a word you use quite a lot in our evangelical circles, amen. The word amen just means it's true, it's a steadfast saying that you just made there, and we back it up with an amen. Amen and Amnon both share the same root word, and his name was faithful, faithful. For he was destined, he was called, he was named to be trustworthy and faithful. One can't help but be reminded when you read this story of Genesis 3, when reading this biblical account as we see that faithful, Amnon, had a friend named Jonadab. His name also is unique for Jonadab means to stir up. His name would be something he would live up to. As he would come just like the serpents, and the Bible tells us that Stirrup, or Jonadab, was a crafty man. He was a shrewd individual. He was analyzing Brother Faithful. He said, I've got to destroy him from ever living up to his name. I have to keep him from being what he's called to be. I have to prevent him from becoming what he really should be, and that is Faithful. He has evidently analyzed the conditions of the faithful and has noticed that he was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, which means he was infatuated with lust. He misinterpreted his lust and he thought it was love, and faithful is now infatuated with something that is not lawful to him. And being the crafty man that Jonadab was, he stirs up the faithful by saying, why are you... The king's son becoming thinner day after day. You look hungry. You look hungry. Who has said that you can't eat from that tree? You look thin. I don't understand. You're the king's son. You can do whatever you want to, all the while stirring up the faithful. Faithful, you look hungry. It seems like the king's holding out on you. Endear me for a moment. Maybe I can help you. To which the faithful tells all his heart's desire. I love Tamar. Here, Amnon's heart and his mind have both entered into the courtroom that are fighting over the custody of his own desire. And we will soon see that if the heart, who is wicked above all else, can convince Amnon's mind, then where the heart goes, the mind always follows. If he can convince his mind of what the heart wants, then the mind will devise some kind of way to get his deep desires. Faithful's heart comes out of this courtroom victorious and his reward will be the fulfillment of his own desire. Where the heart goes, the mind follows. Sure enough, he pretends to be sick and he calls his sister in and asks her to make him some cakes because after all, he's hungry for something. You can't help but hear Genesis 3 being repeated over and over. He's looking a little thin after all. The mind will now have a say, everyone leave the room. I have lost the court case to the heart and the heart has won and we are now giving birth to desire and desire is about to have its way here because the mind and the heart are in unity with something that we should never have and we are going to destroy this faithful individual. The mind will now say, everyone leave the room but tomorrow. We get 2 Samuel 13. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring me the food into the bedroom that I may hear this. Eat from your hand. The exact same Hebrew verbs are used here that were used in Genesis 3. Somehow the author of 2 Samuel is trying to cue us in, and he is winking to us by use of clever use of verbs that, hey guys, do you see what's happening here? We've seen this movie before. This is part two. This has all happened already. You should know, Amnon, because you were raised on these stories too. How could you lose your faithfulness, and how could you lose the court case between your heart and mind and give birth to desire? How could you do this when you know this better than anyone? else for is it not the calling of every Jewish boy to know this story by the age of five he began to eat from her hand just like Adam ate from the hand of Eve again one can't help but see Genesis 3 playing out in stunning clarity each name has been important thus far in this story faithful stir up but there's another name we haven't discussed Tamar yet Her name is intriguing as it tells the story very well. Tamar is the Hebrew word for a palm tree. This is all over a tree, but we're starting to get a revelation that it's not just a tree with branches anymore. You can desire more than just fruit that God said not to have. You can desire a woman that is not lawful to you as well. This is more than just trees we're starting to get a revelation of. Immediately, with a gasp, we see that faithful is picking the wrong tree, just like Adam did. Of all the other women in all of Israel, that you could have had, this is the one that you would seek after, and not only seek after. We're going to find out that you are going to manipulate, you are going to distort, you're going to take, because there's something about the eyes. It's the pride of life. It's the it's the sin of the flesh something about this, and it's intriguing to me that nowhere in our Bible can we ever find that God ever responds with his eyes. Nowhere. It's in this very book. It's named after Samuel, which means God hears is what Samuel means in Hebrew. And it's about this particular story that... God picked David because he said, I don't see the way humans see. I look upon the heart. I see differently. God was teaching Samuel how to see. He said, if you're going to be called a seer, a prophet, I'm going to have to train your eyes to see the way I see. And Amnon does not get this revelation. For he looks at his sister and says, yes, she's beautiful, but that's not lawful to me. I can have all of these other opportunities, but this one thing I can't have is what I want most. And his heart." Convinced his mind. And Jonadab, though in the room, cannot be the only source of blame. Amnon could have silenced his desires. We see that I've justified in the courtroom and my heart got full custody of desire. No, Amnon, please remain faithful. Choose the tree of life. Choose to be faithful. Live up to that name given to you. Don't live up to your own desires, nevertheless, verse 11. Now when she brought them to him, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. Verse 14, though, he would not heed her voice. And being stronger than she, he forced her and laid with her. Some of us could read this and we can hope for the best. Well, maybe he loved her, though. Maybe we can justify this since they don't share the same mom. Yeah, I know David is their dad, but they do have different moms. Maybe we can, maybe it'll all work out somehow in the end. Who's to argue with the heart? The heart wants what the heart wants. If tomorrow is what his heart wants, then who am I to say anything? Love is love after all. Yeah, he shouldn't have taken her forcefully, but maybe they'll be a happy little family. You don't know. Maybe he, like David, will have a Psalm 51 moment, and we justify all these things. These are some of the responses we may hear within our culture, but unfortunately, here's the reality of the situation. 2 Samuel 13, 15 says, Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love which he had loved her. And Amnon said, Arise, be gone. He shuns her out from this room that he created, from this opportunity that he put together. This whole plan, he was not, his heart never told him about how he would feel after he got what he wanted. His mind could not begin to conceptualize what he would feel after. It never even, it never cued him in to the disgust that he would have. He was probably mostly disgusted with himself and he took it out on Tamar. And so she said to him, no, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. Then he called his servant who attended him and said, here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. Desire has taken the meaning of his name. He's no longer faithful. He will be forever known by his hunger rather than his faithfulness. He will now be labeled by what he did forever because it is written within our Bible. If he would have, we, we have fond Things to say about David. He did no worse than David did, but he never writes a Psalm 51 the way his dad did. There is never repentance. He never looks at Tamar and says, this is a wrong thing that I have done. You're right. What must I do to make it right? Let me go into prayer. Let me repent. I'm not blaming Tamar. I'm not blaming Jonadab. I take full ownership of what I've done. He does none of that, so he loses his name. It would still answer to the name, but desire has taken from him the reputation of the name. Desire likely promised him all kinds of wonderful things, such as you'll have a moment of passion out of it, a, a marriage, maybe a family, happiness. Maybe I'll be handed the kingdom because David will look at us and say, well, both are my kids, and if I'm going to hand it to anybody, I'm going to hand it to my son and my daughter. I don't like how it all played out, but maybe it'll all work in the end but the opposite has happened he hated her exceedingly in fact the hatred that he now has is greater than the love which we now know was just lust in the beginning away with you i don't want to even look at you you disgust me i can't believe i was ever even attracted to you lock the door behind her no telling the things he told her and the shame that came on her, dis- how disgusting she felt because she didn't want any of this. She is the product of somebody else's desire that took her and had his way with her and then looked at her and said, I was never attracted to you to begin with. Now I know it was just lust all along. I can't stand even the sight of you. Get out. Get away from me. There is. He is not going to be faithful to her because he wasn't even faithful to his own courtroom of silencing his desire let alone to the victim of his desires now we have an individual that is abusing her he's disgusted with her shuns her and we see the condition of this precious Tamar. In verse 18 it says she had on a robe of many colors for the king's virgin's daughters wore such a parable. And his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her. And laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. But faithful is not going to hold a covenant with her. This this. Semblance of faithfulness, this pseudo-faithful, this name faithful, but never living up to the reputation of his name isn't gonna come and comfort her. It's disgusted with her, wants nothing to do with her. He is he is embarrassed by her, wants nothing, he doesn't even want to be seen with her in public, locks her away, won't console her. The story reads much like a drama novel. There's no consolation, there's certainly no restoration. The truth is, this exact story plays out every day. Every single day. James stays true. And I believe that the Jewish boy, James, was raised on these stories like any good Jew was. He knew this story as well as Genesis 3 better than anybody. And he writes a book. The book of James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's filled with wisdom. And this is what James has to say to us. He looks at us and he says, it may play out a little different than Amnon, but we're still surrounded by the same trees. And this is how he says it. He opens up in James 1 verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. To the individuals that can just endure. That word endure comes from the Greek word hippomaneo, which means to sustain one's strength and faithfulness in spite of everything that's outside of us. If you can endure the things that you hear, if you can somehow stay silent within a political conversation because wisdom tells you, I might lose some. And they may never meet Christ because of my political persuasion Or I may lose somebody if I am too hard on this stance Without any biblical backing Silence comes over us and we are becoming masters of our own We are beginning to grow the fruit of self-control And James gives us this wisdom He says if you can endure the temptations around you Then you can receive the crown of life But then he goes on and he shows, juxtaposed against that, the other side of the aisle, the one who doesn't endure temptation. He says, but first, let me make this statement. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. So if he can't be tempted by evil, he can't use evil to tempt you. Why? Because evil can't even abound around him. It can't even come into his presence. So God can't use evil against you because evil's not even in the same room as God. He says, so now that that's established, let's now establish what's happening to us every day. He tells us, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. Did you hear that? His own desires. This is not something I'm blaming a snake on. I don't get to blame daddy, I don't get to blame circumstances. they They may not help, and the adversary is real, but what the adversary has done is he has analyzed our human depravity, and the adversary comes and accelerates it. But know this, we are perfectly capable of destroying ourselves with or without an adversary. The adversary just knows our humanity and comes and spurs it along or stirs it up. But when we are drawn away by our own desires and enticed, here's what happens. Then, when desire has conceived, the word conceived there is the Greek word for rape when desire has grabbed you and had its way with you and didn't ask your permission it didn't ask you if you were okay with this in fact you were trying your best no I don't want to do that I don't want to fail I don't want to fall I don't want to disappoint I don't want to do that thing that I know I shouldn't do desire comes along and promises you things and when you don't consent it grabs you just like that woman did with Joseph but some of us we have to be like Joseph and say you can have the coat I don't need it and turn out out of the coat to get away from it if we can resist the devil submit to God then it will flee but if we stare at desire long enough it will finally say well they want it as bad as I do and desire will grab us and when desire has forced us it gives birth to sin and we could say well at least I had pleasure for a moment and at least sin was fun and at least I'm gonna get a baby out of it but then it tells us the rest of the story it gives birth to sin Sin when it is full term is the word used there. It brings forth death. I'm gonna get some enjoyment out of this fleeting moment of pleasure. But then all of a sudden the baby comes, and you're like, all right, it was fun that the drug or or the, the gossip felt good because I felt powerful for a moment. All of a sudden, when it comes to full term, it's stillborn. It's dead. It produced no joy, it produced no hope. It produced nothing of any lasting. Well, okay, we, we lost that, but at least I had a good time. And at least I've still got desire. But then desire looks at you and says, you're disgusting. How dare you spend that much time on YouTube? You're not worthy to be called a woman or man of God. You knew better. Away with you. Don't darken the doors of the church ever again. Don't lift your hands. You're the worst in the room. You disgust me. I can't believe I was ever attracted to you. That moment, I just wanted something out of you for a fleeting moment. And now that I've had you, I'm going to tell you what I really think of you. Do you realize, I don't think we have articulated well enough in the modern church and we're surrounded by this post-modernity. Do you fully recognize how much sin and desire hates the people of God? It, it's, it's disgusted with us, but yet there's something in us that's still drawn to it, that's attracted to this heinous thing that despises us. We cringe when we hear about somebody forcefully taking another person. And we cringe and we say, how could they? And anger rises up in us, and yet we're still drawn away. And we always hope, well, maybe sin, the bad boy that he is, maybe he'll love him. Meanwhile, God over there, the perfect gentleman sits silent and we take it out on him. We stop raising our hands in worship because of our disgust. And God, the perfect gentleman, is over there saying, I never did any of that to you. I would uphold my covenant with you, for I am faithful. I am the just one. Why would you spend even a moment in the presence of your desire? Why did you even go in the courtroom and argue over the custody? Why didn't you silence? that wicked and deceitful heart that's wicked above all else who could know it. Why did you listen to your desires? Here's what I'll do for you, though. I will be perfect. I will be just. I will be faithful in spite of your faithlessness. And here's what I'll do. You produced death, and while you were dead in your transgressions, here's how I can repair it. And when Jesus went to that cross, the Bible said that he was Beaten for our iniquities. The word iniquity is the Hebrew word avon, it means warped twisted or bent. What does Why that word? Because we're called to image him. And when we get in bed with our desires we become a beaten distorted version of what we were supposed to be. We are no longer in his image. We're bent. We're iniquitous. We're twisted. And Jesus said I will be bruised for your iniquity. I will take a beating on myself to get you back into the image that you're supposed to be. And when you looked at the cross and you saw him, the ugliness of the cross had to match the ugliness of the man of sin. He had to be as disgusting as sin was because sin fully hit him with all of its power. And he looked at us, he said, don't turn your face away from me. You look at me close and you see my skin hanging from the bones. You look at me and analyze, don't turn your face from this wretched, gross mess because this is what I look at every time I see you. Don't turn your face from me. Look at me. And he said the words that you and I were prophesied to say. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said it in our place so that we could be restored and not have to say those words. He said what we were always called to say. Why? Because he said, here's what I'll do. When I die, I can kill death that's you birthed. I can destroy death that has been brought into the world. And you can be resurrected though you're dead in your sins. That's the deep theology of the book of Romans so that when you resurrect out of that baptismal pool, you are now a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold all things have become new. Look at the cross. It's ugly on purpose and that's why I said this would be the ugliest message I've ever preached. If you realize that sin comes and grabs you and it has its way with you and after it's had its way it walks away And it talks about you and says you're disgusting How dare you keep going to that church you hypocrite How dare you try to teach a Bible study It tries to rob from us the reputation of faithfulness So you made a mistake I did brother Halloween now what There's one more character in the story we haven't talked about His name is Absalom Tamar's sister And this is what he says in 2 Samuel 13, 20. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Confess to me. Tell me what happened. I'm embarrassed to say. I don't don't want to talk about it. Tell me what happened. I need to know what took place. Tell me. I cannot fight for you unless you confess to me what took place. Okay, he did. All right, hold your peace. Hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. The name Absalom is just as important as Jonadab, Amnon, and Tamar. You can almost hear it. Ab is the short form of father. And Shalom. His name is the father of peace. And while she's lying in the street weeping bitterly, the Father of Peace comes out there and says, what happened to you? What happened? He had his way with me. And now he's disgusted with me. I didn't want any of this. I lost the battle. I wasn't strong enough to fend off his desires. And now he's disgusted with me. You You don't even want to know the things he said to me. He had his way with me and then he was so filled with hate that he cast me out. He, he's, he's terrible. Hold your peace. Because that's what you do when you're in the Father of Peace's house. Come and lay in my house. Two years later, Absalom has his vengeance. He finds Amnon and he says, don't you think that I have forgotten what you have done to that precious girl. Don't you think that I have forgotten Today you die, and the father of peace destroys the truly faithless one. Absalom's vengeance came full course. Today, God is not fighting you. He is fighting your desire. God is not out here killing The Amnons, he's out here killing the desire that Amnon had. If he was out to kill humans, he would have sent fire from heaven to destroy Pilate. He would have annihilated Judas, but he washes his feet instead. What he does, though, is he says, everything that's been working behind the scenes that you have been giving yourselves over to, your desires and sin is what I'm going to war against. Today, the Prince of Peace, the Father, is going to destroy this desire. And you're going to know that I am better than that man who had his way with you. You're going to see clearly. This is why the author of Hebrews said it so poignantly. He said how can you deny so great a salvation when you compare the goodness of God to the terror and the, the distortion and the absolute rape of sin. You stand in stark contrast and we are supposed to look at two trees. Over here the Father of Peace standing on the tree of life and over here looking at the adversary and say you know I could have fun over there but it's a no brainer I choose you every time I'm far more attracted to what you provide than what you give because guilt is not worth it yeah you can do what you want to and nobody will know about it you can scroll through the gram and look at pictures you can do whatever you want to do but it leaves you sin always looks at you and says you disgusting pig how dare you allow yourself to do that and you sit in your own condemnation meanwhile the father of peace says come into my house and here's what I'll do I will have vengeance on desire but I need you to submit to me I need you to confess to me all that he has done to you musicians get ready Mark says it so well quoting Jesus he says it's from within it's out of the heart of men that precede evil thoughts adulteries, fornications murderers so Jesus gives us some wise things. He says, "I know that you have heard, not to murder. But here's what I'm going to do. Don't even be angry. Don't even be angry with your brother. Because if you could just stay out of the courtroom, silence that heart it'll never that anger will never that gets in your heart it'll never tell your brain to do something heinous such as murder you'll never even get to that if you can come back here i know that you have heard not to commit adultery but look don't even don't even look at her don't even don't even look because if you can just silence desire with my words you'll feel much better i mentioned at the beginning of this that I got within proximity of all of this six years ago. I got a true revelation of how much sin hates us. I think we all know that. But I don't think we really, truly play it out. At least I did. Maybe, maybe you're infinitely smarter than me, which is a great possibility. But after Levi passed, I had a very distinct moment that I can never forget. We were in a house. I was surrounded by goodness. I'm in a house, brother, that somebody in our church let me stay in. Brother Mason Dickerson said, look, I got a house over there. You can stay in it until you get on your feet, till you find another house. Just stay here. I had a bed that the church bought me. I was in pajamas that people had, had donated to us. We had money in the bank that we had been blessed with. We, we didn't cook for like two months. We're surrounded by goodness. The goodness of God through his people is all around us and I went into the office of that borrowed house and it was an evening I had built a desk I was trying to keep my hands busy so I built my own desk and I I was doing some studying and I went and sat there and just grief came over me and after grief desire walked into the room I remember I remember specifically what I felt, I wanted to just touch Levi's face, I, just, I remember the desire. He had a way that when you held him, he would like, it was like a glove, he would fit perfectly against your body, he would just kind of like go limp, and you, it was just like, it was the coolest thing, you could just hold him. And his cheek would touch my cheek, and I wanted, I desired to feel his cheek so bad against my cheek. And desire came over me, and I heard a voice audibly say, get to see Levi for a fleeting moment you'll pass by him through the corridor leading to eternity you'll get to feel his cheeks, and desire was so strong that I entertained the thought of suicide in my humble estimation I'm pretty strong minded and that's what was jarring to me how could that thought even enter my mind and then I fell apart I can't be a man of God I can't I will never preach again. I have lost my testimony. I've entertained even the thought what would my wife think? How how weak-minded am I? And all of these thoughts started hitting me. I'm I'm weak, I'm I'm not, I'm not a man, I'm disgusting, I laid in the fetal position, and the adversary came to me and said, you're not a man of God, you're disgusting, why would you ever even try, look at you, all of this that's happened is because you're not a man of God, this didn't happen to great men of God in the old times, it's happening to you, so you must not be what you think you are, and then all of a sudden, the Prince of Peace came into that office, and I had juxtaposed over here, the adversary, and God spoke to me as clear as day, and he said, he Hates you and I spoke aloud. I said, I thought that he would take a break on me. I thought that he would, like, okay, let's give him a moment of reprieve. The adversary kicked me at my lowest, and in that moment, I, something came over me. Righteous indignation is what I think it was to where I made up my mind. I said, God, if he hates me that bad and he hates the people of God that bad. Why would I ever even come near him or entertain anything of his ever again if he truly hates me this much? He's disgusted with me. Entertaining him made him madder at me. Why would I do that? And God spoke to me He said, you see now what I was saying. That when you go back to sin, it's like a dog going back to his vomit. You don't want this. You want me. I'm better. And I said, God, I will spend the rest of my life living for you. I will worship you. God, I will do everything you've called me to do to work against his kingdom. You tell me what to say, and I'll say it. And I come with a resounding voice, not just to this church, but to anyone listening, whether online or, God, have me preach this again. Leave sin alone. Silence the desires going into a presidential election. Seek what is wise. Seek what is godly. Stay silent if you must. Whatever's going on around us that divides the church, keep it over here and let's be worshipers of God. Let us be those who can hold our tongues. Let us be those that can endure temptation. Let us be people of God that are steadfast unmovable let us be faithful let us say you know what i am frustrated i never want to go back but i'm going to because i want to live up to the reputation of faithfulness let us be people of god so i have a prayer request of you today And there's an altar call for every person present in this room. This is not for just the guests. This is not for just the one who's been in church all your life. This is for all of us. Because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you have, guess what we have an opportunity to do? You get to run into the Father of Peace's house. If you're here today and you've never heard such a thing, would you come to these altars and say, you know what? I don't want to be abused by these desires. I don't want to be forced into things anymore. Come and throw your hands up and submit yourself to God and say, "God, I choose You every time." If you're disgusted with sin, if you are disgusted with your own lifestyle, don't live in condemnation. Come to an altar, and throw your hands up, and say, "God, You will live out the covenant with me when sin won't. You'll live out the covenant. With me. You'll console me. You'll comfort me. You'll restore me." God, do that today. Dig up the secret sins that nobody knows about. And don't be embarrassed about them. That's what God's different. He doesn't embarrass you because of what you've done. What he does is he says, give it to me and you can stay in my house. You can be restored in my home. I'm going to go out there and seek out vengeance for the one who did this to you. You need to let him know, Father, take care of the one who did this to me. God annihilate the desire right now in the name of Jesus every person that has been taken captive God by their own desires your power in this place will work perfectly the moment we give you our desires God you're a perfect gentleman you won't do anything without us first doing our part our part is submitting to you God I submit my desires to you here it is God I don't want to be manipulated by desire I don't want to birth death come and conquer it in my life I surrender it to you if you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus I ask you today would you consider it it's biblical it's beautiful it's life-changing it washes away all of the fingerprints from that man of sin put his hands on you it washes all that away you may still have the memory of what you did but God doesn't have the memory of it's all white and green. It's abolished off the book and records of heaven. Would you consider being baptized today? Would you just give way and say, God,
2: you are far better. You are far better than anything in this world. I will not entertain it ever again.
4: I entertain you
2: I want to be faithful.